Today, we're continuing our four-week vision series on gospel, community, and mission, and our scripture is Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, good to be with you, whether you're joining us online or in person. Um, so there was a moment where I was, um, it's true, I was many, many years ago, I was 13 years old, and uh, I remember distinctly one fall, my parents called me downstairs to watch TV with them. And that wasn't normal. Normally, right, it was like, don't be on, you know, don't watch TV. And there was a special news breaking report, um, right? This is before Twitter. This is before all those things, just so you know, email even, right? So I'm ancient. But um, on the television was a scene from Germany. And what was happening was the Berlin Wall was coming down. Some of you here, you remember that. Not many, but some do. And if you don't know about this, this is a 70-mile wall between West Berlin and East Berlin that was 12 feet thick made of concrete. And this was a wall that uh, was erected kind of after World War II in the early 60s, separating kind of communism from the West. It divided this this nation and even that city. And yet on that night, the wall had figuratively and was just about to begin physically coming down. There were East Germans and West Germans that were dancing on top of the wall. There were scenes on the one side of just graffiti, and there were scenes of people taking sledgehammers and the wall beginning to come down. And when I was like 12 or 13 at that moment, um, I didn't understand the history. But it had been nearly three decades of this wall separating these people and this nation, bringing them back to be one. And my parents tried to explain to me just 
how much in that moment what I was watching was the world changing before our eyes. As we continue our series in this this gospel community and mission, we focus again on mission and we pick up a story in the book of Acts that shows us that another wall has come down. A wall that stood for thousands of years between Jews and Gentiles. And the world would never be the same. And here's here's the point of the passage. It's simply this. This passage shows us God's heart for all people. It shows us God's heart for all people. And so we're going to see three things in this passage today. The scope of our mission, the grace of our mission, and thirdly, the mode of this mission. So let me pray and we'll get in. Father, we give you thanks that you promise that your word, as it goes out, it does not return void. And Lord, as we see a clear vision for your heart for all people, we pray that your word would go out, that it would sink into our hearts and our lives, and it would shape the vision and the mission of Redeemer City as we move forward. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Well, let's look again just at the beginning of this section. I just want to read this again. This is a fantastic story. It opens up in verse 26, and look what happens here. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. The scope of this mission is really seen in two ways in this early part of this passage. And the first is, is this, just how involved God is in this passage. It's, it's no secret. Um, you'll notice Philip is on his way, and the Lord directs an angel to give him some directions about where he needs to go. What you need to know where Philip was and where he was going, this was nowhere in his direction. I mean, this is the most roundabout way he was to go. And the angel comes and says, you need to go this way. And not only that, you see in verse 29, you also see the Spirit saying to Philip, go over and join this chariot. You have this moment where there's this GPS locked in location of where God is going with his mission and where he's sending Philip. And it shows God's heart for all people. So I'll, I'll put it this way. I've used the illustration before, but in college, I was a junior, and I had a crush on a girl. I actually liked her roommate, and then I switched, and then she liked my roommate, and then she switched. That's my wife, by the way. But we were, there was a season in which I was pursuing her, in which I wanted a relationship with her, and I found out her class schedule. And I found my way, just happenstance, on the way to where she was going to class. And it was not on my way, right? 
I was going way out of my way. Why? Because I wanted a relationship with her. Luke, of course, is saying a different context, a different kind of relationship, but he's wanting his readers to understand something. The author of Acts, he's wanting his readers to understand this this God who's sending Philip to the exact road and directing to which the chariot to show us one thing. He knows the Ethiopian eunuch's schedule. He intends to be there because God's heart is for this man. One of the things this, this section, Luke does not want us to miss is how actively involved and directly involved God is in directing his servant Philip to this place. If you showed up with me on that sidewalk trying to intersect my future wife, Amanda, you might have said, Nate, you've got like, you've got business communication on the other side of this, of this like university. What are you doing here? I'm like, no, I, I know why I'm here. You know, the second piece is what's so unique about this is the identity of who this person was. We see it in the passage. It's, you know, it's, it's an Ethiopian eunuch. And the first thing we see is just geographically. He's from Ethiopia. Now, Greek historians, other writers identified Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. When you think about the Roman Empire and where it went, Ethiopia, technically speaking, by all accounts, was the ends of the earth. And one of the things that's unmistakable in the book of Acts, the opening section where the risen Jesus is talking to his disciples, listen to what he says. In Acts 1 he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you know, what's fascinating about, the, about Acts is this. It actually follows this pattern. In Acts 2, Pentecost happens in Jerusalem. And then guess what? It moves on to Judea. And then guess what? Guess where Philip just was in, in the first part of this chapter? He was in Samaria. And what is Luke doing? Luke is saying, guess what? This is your first glimpse. This is your first snapshot of what? Of his gospel going to the ends of the earth, for that is what Ethiopia is. But it's not just, it's not just where he's from. It's also who he is ethnically. He's not Jewish. He's black. Up until this point, the good news of Jesus in the book of Acts had not crossed, more likely, ethnicity. (laughs) But the Ethiopian eunuch, listen, now we see the gospel actually crossing to a different ethnicity, to a different people group. It's not different from God's heart we see back in Genesis 12, the call of Abram, where Abram was called to be a blessing to all nations. But it's here where we begin to see more clearly, more distinctly, 
God's mission being fulfilled to all peoples. But the third thing is the status of this eunuch. And I say eunuch. In the ancient Near East, most oftentimes what that meant to be a eunuch was to be castrated. And it was specifically for those who worked with king's harems or in close contact with the queen, which we actually see here he was. But she didn't understand something. Being a eunuch was problematic. And here's why. Back in Deuteronomy 23, it specifically states that eunuchs are cut off and shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. They're not welcomed in God's presence in Deuteronomy 23. But later on, the prophet Isaiah, looking to a future day, held out hope for those who were on the margins, who were those who were, on the, who were outcast of God's assembly. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 56, 4-5. It says this, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. In other words, there's a day coming, Isaiah is saying, in which those who weren't welcomed into God's assembly will have a permanent name. And this is why this passage is so stunning. Because this Ethiopian eunuch, on all accounts, geographically, ethnically, his status He knows nothing but being on the outside of this relationship with God. You know, let's be clear for a moment. Listen to what Jesus said when he walked. In John chapter 10, we talked about himself being the good shepherd. He said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have, listen, other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus, in his ministry, says, there's other people, not of my fold, not of, not of the nation of Israel, who need to be brought in. And they will be not two people, but one people. And listen, in Acts chapter 8, what Luke is showing us is that this is exhibit A. This is exhibit A, that God's heart is for all people. So that's the scope of the mission we see here, but there's also more here. There's the grace of this mission. And look for a moment, in verses 29 to 34, this, this exchange in verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? 
for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? This is obviously quite an appointment, right? Philip wanders over to the chariot. And as was common practice in that day, when you were reading and reading alone, you read out loud. And he just happens to be reading the prophet Isaiah. The same prophet that talked just a moment ago about eunuchs being welcomed in. And he's reading about a servant. And here's the question the eunuch has. Who's this talking about? And that's actually a really good question. It's not altogether clear as you read through Isaiah. There's, there's sections, in, for example, in Isaiah 44, where the servant is Israel. There's later sections in chapter 49 where the distinction is made between the servant and Israel. And so the eunuch is asking the question, well, then what, what is, who is this servant? What about this one? And listen to what the text says Philip responds with. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The servant in this passage, Philip says, is Jesus. This is unique for a moment. Sometimes we get familiar with this. Some of us do. But think for a moment about what is happening here. He's reading a section in which a servant is suffering injustice. Right? He's losing his life. He's being silent as he goes. And yet, Philip as it describes the passage, Philip says, he tells them the good news about Jesus. Well, why is that good news? Why is it good news that someone suffered injustice? Why is it good news that this servant did something? Well, right before, in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, before this section, listen to what it says says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's just, it's the gospel. Notice the grace of this mission. It's for those who have gone astray. It's for those who have walked away. And it's the news that this God, who has a heart for all people, has come in space, time, and history in the person of Jesus. And he has bore our sin. He has paid the price. And that is good news for all people. It's really interesting. Um, one of my good friends, pastor, was commenting on this, and if you think of Isaiah 56, 4 and 5, where it talks about the eunuchs, 
being welcomed in and having a name right there. At the very end, it says, that name shall not be cut off. And what you have to understand, think about this, that name shall not be cut off. That is intentional. Because for a eunuch, they were cut off. And here's the point. As my friend pointed out, when grace comes, it most often comes at the place of our deepest shame. And, and that's what's happening here. This eunuch is hearing this news that he's welcomed in. That there's grace for the likes of him. And that's good news for all. It's the grace of this mission. It's this gospel of good news for all people. But I want you to see, lastly, the mode of this mission. Because this is where it has to come home for us as a church. One of the most unmistakable things about this passage is not only you see God's involvement throughout this passage, but you also see Philip's involvement. I mean, he's every part of the text. The, the angel of the Lord directs him and he goes. The Spirit of the Lord directs him and he goes. Philip, he's the one who explains the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. And just think for a moment. God could have sent an angel straight to the Ethiopian eunuch. He could have, with an audible voice, explained the text. God could have written it in the sky. But what does he do? He sends Philip. This is the mode of the mission. And it's really clear here. Those whom God welcomes into his family by grace are sent out, empowered by his spirit, to be his voice to all peoples. In other words, if you're a Christian, it means you're in this mission. And it's, it's a mission that's not even toward those who merely look like you. For it's all people. You know, the reason why this is here and we go on to chapter 10 in which Peter has his vision is because, think about it, for them, this was so hard in this original audience to understand this is not just for those that look like you. I want you to see God's heart in vibrant colors for all people. You go back to Luke's gospel and Jesus encounters these, the last, the least, the poor and the powerless. It's where he spends his time. And it's also for the first and the most, but there's this dynamic where it's very clear in Luke and Acts, there's this clear call that God's mission is for those that we oftentimes forget, that those who are on the margins, for those we might ignore, it's for all people. And let me just, just for a moment, just call us back to what this means for us here. Like, on the one hand, right, like, we partner wonderfully with 
to families globally. We, we do that intentionally for relationship because we believe there are other cultures, other nations that need to hear this good news. We, we partner with them. We pray for them. We, we know them. But let me also be clear. This has a particular meaning for us in our present location. You know, most people project by the year 2055, some even earlier, there will be no cultural majority, right? Immigration, birth rate, the U.S. is only growing in diversity. In fact, um, if you go to any public school right now, in 2017, actually crossed over. There is no cultural majority in, in, in public schools anymore. And here's my question for the broader church. Will it move forward with the vision for all people? Let me ask this, will we move forward with the vision for all people? Listen, there are alternatives out there. I'll mention one. There's Christian nationalism, which builds an identity on being American and Christian and sees immigrants, Muslims as threats to this country. And therefore, you aren't truly American unless you are a white Protestant and American. Let me be clear for a moment. I'm not suggesting that you can't have an opinion on immigration. I'm not suggesting that there aren't implications politically. But let me put it this way. The vision that must shape the church And the vision that must shape Redeemer City as it moves forward is a vision that Isaiah had. It's a vision that Jesus had. It's a vision that the book of Acts is showing us right now. It is a vision for all people. That's the scope of the mission You know, it's, um, it's remarkable. The end of this section, verse 39. Notice, this is, I have actually forgot to go here. This is really important. Um, it's almost like the back end of this point. But in 36, the eunuch says, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Did you catch that? See, what prevents me from being baptized? He's asking Philip, Philip, hey, you know who I am. You know my identity. Is there anything that precludes me from being baptized? Which, by the way, baptism, it's an entrance into the family of God. It's an entrance into one people. And I think Luke wants us to understand, wants us to ask the question, is there any reason why anyone could be prevented from understanding and knowing and believing and trusting the grace of this gospel that it's for them? 
What's our answer? And we know the answer here. We know what it ought to be. Because Philip goes down in the water and he baptizes him. And look at 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And this is talking about the eunuch. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. You see, this is what the gospel creates. It creates a joy, right? Because what do you understand in the gospel? When this, is, when this is foundational, when this is your identity, not other things primarily, but when the gospel is your identity, what does it create? What ought it create? An identity in which you understand that the God who created me knows me all the way down, all the sin, and yet he loves me to the skies because it's displayed through his son, Jesus. And it welcomes us in to a worldwide family set apart for a worldwide mission of grace. Redeemer City, there are a lot of things that would perhaps seek to fracture us and divide us in this time. But can we commit to this vision? To this vision, a worldwide vision for all people. To be his people in this time, in this city, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers. So that they might know that joy. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts, our minds, our, what we're thinking right now, and, and we're grateful that you meet us right where we are. And Lord, I pray for Redeemer City, pray for our church, that we'd be filled with the vision like you had for Isaiah 56 when Isaiah wrote these words. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus, give us a vision for all peoples. Shape us as a people to be your people at this time 
And we ask this in and through the power of your spirit to be at work among us. We pray for your help. Amen.